It's Sunday morning, time for some jazz. I've got a hot cup of coffee and five songs for you. Of course, five artists as always. And we're going to explore some new stuff today because I'm just feeling exploratory. Some classics and some outtakes that I've not played before. So I hope wherever you are in this world, you're comfortable, relaxed, and ready to hear some fantastic jazz. Let's get this thing started, shall we? I'm going to start today off with a classic. Released in 1966 from the classic album of the same title, this is Let Him Roll by Big John Patton. Thank you. 
recorded in 1965 and released in 1966. That's Let Em Roll from the album Let Em Roll by Big John Patton, the late Big John Patton. Now, he was always known as Big John Patton, but not due to his size. It was just a nickname, because at the time that he became quite popular, the song Big Bad John was a hit on the radio. So people just started calling him Big John. And it stuck. His response to that was, well, they started calling me that, and at first I didn't understand it, but I love it now. It's just a name. If it's going to help you, then boogie on up in there. So Big John Patton uh, passed away in 2002 due to uh, complications from diabetes, but he enjoyed a very long and successful career. Starting out in early 1963, uh, when he became very well known as the prominent uh, Hammond B3 organ player. He also played uh, piano, of course, but it was the B3 that really brought him to prominence. He was a, a major figure in the development of the funk and blues-rooted style of jazz known as soul jazz. He's considered a roots player who largely inspired the entire acid jazz movement. The man was extraordinary. So he's originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Born in July of 1935, he first fell in love with the uh, Hammond B3 organ when drummer Ben Dixon encouraged him to uh, check it out. When they played in clubs that had one, he said some of the clubs that we played in would have an organ off to the side. And every time I had a chance to get with that organ, man, it was just fascinating to me, especially the bass line. And that was kind of it. He just took off. It exploded for him. He enjoyed seven years in the spotlight as the B3 player. He was the go-to guy at that time period. And, well, he has a very long-lasting legacy. Now, he did sort of dip in popularity during the 70s, but found a rise again uh, in the 80s, throughout the 90s, and right up until he died in 2002. He played on the um, Ron Carter and Blackstar composition for the Red Hot organization, for the compilation album Red Hot and Indigo, a tribute to Duke Ellington. The Red Hot uh, organization has been raising money for AIDS awareness and charities to fight the disease since, uh, my goodness, I think around... 88 or 89, I believe, when it first got together. So yeah, he kept recording right up until the very end. That was recorded in 2001. The title was, uh, of the song was Money Jungle. And of course, Big John Patton had been on, as a band leader, he'd recorded about 18 albums, and as a sideman, he recorded with a literal who's who of the jazz world. Art Blakey, Lou Donaldson, Grant Green, Clifford Jordan, Johnny Little just to name a few. The man was very much in demand for a very long time because, well, he just had that funky vibe to him when he played, and not many people could get the same sound out of the B3 that he could. All right. So now I'm going to play you another composition from an individual who was, well, extraordinary in his field, another B3 organist. Dr. Lonnie Smith, jazz giant who's been around since 1960. 
This uh, composition I'm about to play you is released on, um, my goodness, as a single from his upcoming album. This was released on February 13th of 2021. The album release is due for uh, the 26th of March, so not too far off, just a couple of days away. This is his third uh, release since uh, 2016 when he came back to the Blue Note label. He said, Blue Note is like family. It's like I never left. Everybody's great to work with. They give me the opportunity to play my life, to tell my story. The magnificent Dr. Lonnie Smith. This is Bright Eyes Live. Thank you. 
6th of March. So this new record is collaborated with a number of people. And the album starts off with a collaboration with, of all people, Iggy Pop. It's actually bookended by Iggy Pop collaborations. Eight tracks in total. Um, first track is, a, like I said, a collaboration with Iggy Pop. And the eighth and final track is also a collaboration with Iggy Pop. Featuring a Donovan song that you may be familiar with, Sunshine Superman. This is a slight departure for him, but nevertheless still absolutely interesting. I look forward to the full release of the album. hope you enjoyed that song. I, I quite particularly did. I think Bright Eyes is the perfect title for that song. As it's just sort of a happy, hoppy, joyful track. Or at least I certainly think so. Of course, Mr. Lonnie Smith has been recording uh, since 1960, so 61 years in the music game. He's 78 years old, so he started when he was only 17. And he started out in uh, Lackawanna, New York, where he was born. Grew up in Buffalo and moved on to New York City. Throughout the 60s, he recorded with the great George Benson and the George Benson Quartet, where he pulled in sort of rhythm and blues-style influences. He was heavily influenced throughout, uh, throughout his young life with gospel and classical music, as it was introduced to him by his mother. Now, he has his own record label, Pilgrimage Records, and has been recording with, well, started recording, I should say, with Blue Note in 1967, left for a number of years, and then came back in 2015. And he's just been going strong ever since. Very heavily and highly regarded individual, and as a band leader, he has almost 40 recordings. As a sideman, well, George Benson, he recorded a couple albums with Mr. Benson. He's got about a dozen albums with Lou Donaldson, Javon Jackson, Jimmy Ponder, Jimmy McGriff, and Rodney Jones, just to name a few. 
the man is a pretty prolific player. Now, he's not an actual doctor, nor was he awarded an honorary doctorate. He's just been referred to as doctor by his fellow musicians because he likes to doctor up the tunes with his rather unique improvisational stylings. Hmm. He said the best way, really, to, to listen to him is to see him live. He says he doesn't feel as motivated in the studio. It's not uh, not motivated. He just he just doesn't have the same vibe in the studio that he does live. He said when I'm live, you just you get a better vibe and a better feel for what I'm trying to relay to you. He's an interesting cat, I can tell you that. He often wears a turban, sometimes a simple head wrap, and oftentimes a fez. The dude likes his headwear. I can dig it. Mr. Lonnie Smith, Dr. Lonnie Smith, as he's well known. He's been uh, touring heavily throughout most of his uh, professional life. And he's, well, uh, he's performed at every prominent jazz festival you can think of. Has in the past played with uh, the greats such as Ron Carter, Dizzy Gillespie, Lou Donaldson, Etta James, Gladys Knight, Dionne Warwick, and Carlos Santana. The man is very, very adept and diverse. As a leader and a sideman, he's the guy you want in your band. Dr. Lonnie Smith. All right. This next uh, composition is, is a number of years older, and, uh, well, it's, it's... It's... I've featured this artist a number of times, and I will again in the future because I really dig this cat. Okay, I know that sounds ridiculous coming from me, but... How else do you describe Mr. Joe Henderson? This is Blue Bossa. Thank you. 
often collaborator, collaborative partner, I should say, Kenny Dorham. Now, Kenny Dorham wrote that song uh, shortly after he had attended the Rio de Janeiro Jazz Fest in 1961, heavily influenced by the bossa nova and hard bop sound. As I said, it has become an, a standard, an absolute jazz standard, a magnificent composition, if ever there was one. Of course, Kenny Dorham passed away at the age of 48 in 1972. He was quite young. Sad. Sad to die so young. I say so young because, well, I'm 53 soon, so 48 is young to me. Passed away from kidney disease. Now, Joe Henderson, of course, um, he was with us up until 2001, and, and sadly he lost his 
battle with emphysema, as he, he had been a chain smoker for the better part of his life. It took its serious toll on his health, and uh, he's come to it at the age of 64 in 2001. So remember, kids, don't smoke. That's the only lesson you'll get from me. I'll continue to talk about jazz and the music. Originally from Lima, Ohio, Mr. Henderson recorded with a veritable who's who of the jazz world. Wayne Shorter, Woody Shaw, Herbie Hancock, McCoy Tyner, Horace Silver, Charlie Hayden, Ron Carter, Elvin Jones, Lee Morgan, Chick Corea, Wynton Marsalis, just to name a few. The man was a prolific player. Throughout his long and storied career, he recorded with Blue Note, Verve, and Milestone Records, a tenor saxophonist who, by the age of 18, was very active in the Detroit jazz scene of the mid-1950s, played in a lot of jam sessions with uh, visiting jazz stars from New York City. And while he was attending Wayne State University, he, uh, he took classes in flute and bass, which helped to develop his saxophone and compositional skills. He had studied under Larry Teal from the Teal School of Music, and by the time he had uh, met with several of his college classmates in, at Wayne State University, including Yusuf Latif, Barry Harrison, Donald Byrd, well, his professors believed he had perfect pitch because he had transcribed and memorized so many Lester Young solos. Early in his career, he was in the Army, so from 60 to 62, he was stationed at the, uh, first at uh, Fort Benning and then Fort Belvoir, and he was chosen to uh, embark on a world tour with a show to entertain soldiers. I guess uh, he met up with Kenny Drew and Kenny Clark when he was in Paris, and sometime after that, he was sent off to Maryland to conclude his enlistment. In 62, he was discharged and immediately moved to New York City. That's where he met Kenny Dorham, where they became fast friends and uh, longtime collaborators, of course, but Kenny was sort of a guidance counselor for him. They had first met at Junior Cook's place in New York. I guess that uh, same evening they went to see Dexter Gordon playing at Birdland. Joe was asked by Gordon himself to, to play something with his rhythm section. Needless to say, he happily accepted. Some of his earliest recordings were, you know, very much strongly uh, regarded as hard bop, seriously influenced by such. He also encompassed uh, the bebop tradition and then introduced R&B, Latin, and avant-garde. He was a member of Horace Silver's band for a number of years and uh, he provided the solo on the hit Song for My Father, which I have featured in the past on this show. He left Silver's band in 1966 and just worked as a freelancer. And at the same time, co-led a band with Kenny Dorham. Many of the arrangements uh, went unrecorded for a number of years. Why, I don't honestly know. From 63 to 68, he was on nearly 30 albums under the Blue Note label. Five under his own name, of course, because he did uh, work with and collaborate with the literal who's who that I named some of a little bit earlier in jazz. 
Of course, this record, hard, um, the Hard Bop album, Page One, which Blue Bossa was part of, uh, was released in 63. Mode for Joe in 66 was also a very prominent record, which I have featured again on this, uh, on this show in the past. He also, um, as I said, uh, worked with Herbie Hancock for a time, along with Lee Morgan, and was on the uh, album Sidewinder. Again, I featured that on this show. His fingers were in a lot of pies, if that makes any sort of sense. I'm really struggling here this morning, as I don't think I've had nearly enough coffee, and perhaps it's time for me to pour myself another one, so I'm going to step away for a split second. You won't even know I'm gone, I promise. And I'm back, hot coffee in hand. Perhaps I can function a little bit better. Running on very little sleep today, so it is... um, currently about uh, 7 a.m. at this recording, so the sun hasn't come up just yet, but it should soon. Okay, so let's go from Mr. Joe Henderson to another brilliant sax player who helped to redefine the instrument and the sound uh, with an earlier recording, and well, I have featured this composition in the past, but not this take, as this is a slightly altered version. I'm going to tell you all about it after we listen to it. Enjoy this piece, please.
1957 and released in 1958. That is the masterwork from the master John Coltrane. Now, of course, that album has been certified gold um, around the world. 50,000 copies in Canada, 25,000 copies in Italy, 100,000 in the UK, and 500,000 in the United States. That's a big seller in the jazz world. Of course, it featured the magnificent uh, musicians Lee Morgan on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Kenny Drew on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on the drums. Recorded at the Hackensack, New Jersey Van Gilder Studios. The absolute masterwork. Now, I need to, I need to read you this quotation directly from the Blue Note website regarding this record. This is Locomotion, John Coltrane's first masterwork, Blue Train. In September 1957, while in the midst of finding his own voice on the tenor saxophone in bands led by jazz freedom riders Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk, John Coltrane enlisted a band of peers and entered Rudy Van Gelder's Hackensack, New Jersey studio. With a new spirit rising, Coltrane created Blue Train, a 40-plus-minute masterwork that stands as one of the greatest jazz recordings of all time. It was only his second album as a band leader and his sole recording under his own name for Blue Note Records. Of course, Train, always the insatiable seeker, went on to launch new rockets of interstellar music, including 1959's groundbreaking Giant Steps, 1964's Sublime Jazz Prayer, A Love Supreme, and 1966 large ensemble Expedition Ascension, which sparked the burgeoning free jazz movement. Well, that, I think, pretty much sums up that record, does it not? <laughs> it really is a, a, a brilliant album, and if you've not had the chance to listen to it in its entirety, I, I recommend that you do. I am fortunate enough to own a 180-gram uh, vinyl issue of it, and I listen to it usually once a week, shortly followed up by Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, just because they're such brilliant records. Okay. For those of you who are not familiar with John Coltrane, I'll give you a two-minute rundown on him. He died at the age of 40 in 1967 after a battle of um, cancer. He... Uh, he fought, but unfortunately, well, liver cancer is quite fatal, and in 1967, we just didn't know then what we know now. Today, in all likelihood, he would have survived. He managed to kick his heroin addiction, and, well, he went on to write some brilliant music as a result, when he was clean and sober, and he stayed that way up until he died, sadly. Sadly died, of course, not sad that he stayed clean and sober. Such a young man at only age 40, but his influence is still felt today because, well, who's kidding who? The man was a genius on the sax, and I don't think he really had any peers. 
the amount of records he's uh, on that, well, I mean, he had a total of five albums with Prestige and Blue Note, Coltrane, Blue Train, John Coltrane and the Red Garland Trio, Soul Train, with Atlantic Records, Giant Steps, Coltrane Jazz, My Favorite Things, and Old Coltrane. And then with the Impulse label, he has about 20 albums that he recorded on. The amount of live recordings that exist of him are, well, too many to mention. There actually is a church in San Francisco, um, the church uh, of John Coltrane. I, I'm not even kidding. I, I can't make this up. This is this is a real thing, the St. John Coltrane African Orthodox Church in San Francisco. They actually incorporate his music and lyrics, his prayers, and its liturgy. The Coltrane Church is not a gimmick or a force alloy of nightclub music and ethereal faith. Its message of deliverance through divine sound is actually quite consistent with Coltrane's own experience and message, both in implicit and explicit ways. Okay, so that's different. I guess people have had religious experiences while listening to his music, so there you go. If you've ever read the liner notes to A Love Supreme, you could understand where that church may have got its founding. I have one more composition today, and, well, it's largely um, a dedication, if you will, or a, a love supreme towards John Coltrane. And the song is actually dedicated to John Coltrane, so I think that kind of says it all. From 1965, when it was recorded, it was released in August of 1966, from the great Larry Young, this is The Moon Train.
recorded in 1965. Moon Train from the album Unity by Larry Young. The song was written by the young uh, Woody Shaw, who was only 21 at the time. And it uh, he was the trumpet player in the band, of course, along with uh, Joe Henderson, who I'd featured earlier in today's show, tenor saxophonist, and Elvin Jones on drums. All have departed this mortal coil. Larry Young passed away in 1978 at the age of 37. He was only 23 when that album was recorded. Woody Shaw was 21 at the time. Joe Henderson, of course, he was a couple of years older, but not much. And then the uh, late Elvin Jones, who passed away in uh, 2004 at the age of 76. The magnificent drummer Elvin Jones. He recorded with a lot of different uh, individuals throughout his career and was heavily influenced and heavily influenced and heavily influenced Ginger Baker and John's De- John Densmore of The Doors. So his influence was felt everywhere. Of course, Larry Young was uh, such a young man when he died at the age of 37, and it's still actually unknown what his cause of death was. But he was a magnificent Hammond B3 player, and he shall be missed. Thankfully, he has a number of recordings right up until his death. As a band leader, he has about 14 albums in total. As a side musician, oh my goodness, probably another 30 at least. Well, Woody Shaw, like I said, was a young man when he wrote the song. He died at the age of uh, 44 in 1989. He died of kidney failure, which is quite sad because who knows what we would have... Heard from him in the future had he survived. Sad, so many great artists are taken from us at such a young age. I don't mean to end off today's show on a sad note. I want to celebrate the music of these geniuses because that's what they were. Jazz giant geniuses. Okay, there's some alliteration for you. So I hope you've enjoyed today's program. I'll be back in... Oh, maybe seven or eight days, maybe less. It all depends on when when the mood strikes me and I have the time to put together a show. If you like the main show, which is Songs and Stories, I'm up to volume 87, or is it 88? I'll have to check. I'll have that show recorded and posted in the next couple of days. It's going to be a bit of a marathon, uh, creeping upon, uh, beyond the four-hour mark. That's why I like to keep the jazz shows. Oops. I bumped something there. I like to keep the jazz shows in at the one-hour mark because they're easier for me to record. And with five artists, it's uh, not nearly as much research needs to be done as opposed to 20. Okay, I'm babbling, and I don't want to do that. So wherever you are in this world, I hope that... uh, I hope you're going to enjoy this beautiful Sunday. I know I certainly will. The sun is up. The temperature is warm. It's a gorgeous spring day in the nation's capital of Ottawa, Canada. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.